This is Rob Long with Martini Shot for The Ankler. Once, a long time ago, I was meeting some animators at a crowded restaurant. We were doing a project together, but we had never met in person. It was lunchtime, and people kept streaming into the place, and I kept scanning the crowd for the animator guys. But of course, I had no idea how I'd recognize them until they walked in. One of them was a huge guy, tall and round and completely disheveled, in a t-shirt that ended about four inches before his pants began, and the other was a tiny little guy in green felt pants with a cowboy shirt on and a funny pointed hat. Ah, yes, I said to myself, those are the animators. People in this business, in other words, tend to dress the part. Early in my career, I went to the table reading of my first pilot in a brand new jacket. I bought the jacket the way you sometimes buy things for a special occasion. I'm going to need a new tie for this event, you sometimes say to yourself, or at least I say to myself. I need a jacket for this big table reading, I thought, because I imagine the scene is being sort of fraught with complicated signals and important stakes to stick in the ground, which it really is. I mean, the table reading of a pilot represents a couple of million dollars of studio and network money. Gathered around the table and lining the walls are executives and agents and managers and an entire constellation of people whose job it is, essentially, to watch the showrunner do his job and whose car payments and house notes and school fees are almost entirely dependent on this thing working. It's the anchor of the business model of the entertainment industry, and that model is shaky anyway. So don't show up in a t-shirt, in other words. That was my thinking all those years ago anyway. I don't wear t-shirts much unless I'm at the beach or at yoga. Unlike a lot of my writer colleagues, by the way, who tend to stick to comfortable and slightly shambling clothes, and that's okay, of course, you've got to be who you got to be. But the way I look at it is this. Unless you're a really well-known guy, what the trades might call a show-running vet, it's a good idea to signal to the folks in the room and around the walls that you've got this thing handled, even if you don't. Which you don't, because nobody does. Well, I guess some people do. I knew an agent once who was very successful who told me that he and his wife had made a big life decision a few years back. My wife and I, he told me, made the decision to live formally. What he meant, I guess, is that they used their dining room and they dressed up a little. He wore his office suit. She wore, I don't know, whatever it was she wore. And they lived a little like people do in movies from the 1930s when it always seems to be dinner time and no one is ever in a T-shirt. And at breakfast, there's toast in a toast rack. And the lady of the house is in some kind of combination pajama, robe, and ball gown. People don't really live like that. They probably didn't live like that back then either. But this agent and his wife had decided otherwise. God, it must be a lot of work, I said. I mean, is it worth it? Don't you ever just want to hang around in your underwear, eating Triscuits from the box? Sometimes, he said. But then we both remember why we did this in the first place. Because it's impossible to be really thoughtless when you're all dressed up. You're just naturally more polite and gracious, no matter how you really feel. The most you'll be across a nicely set dinner table, he told me, is snippy. And snippy's not so bad. Yeah, but don't you just sometimes just want to be casual? Rob, he said. There is nothing casual about a marriage. But don't you just want to be comfortable? There's nothing comfortable about it either. And, you know, I'll take his word for that. But what he didn't say, and I think the real reason for the formal living decision was this. He's an agent. And there's so much about being a successful agent that requires, you know, screaming obscenities into a telephone. And there's a real danger in bringing that kind of aggressive brutality home, you know, along with all the money.
So the dining room and the dress-up clothes were a reminder, the way an actor often needs to be in wardrobe to really connect with a character, that the person at work, the one who's a little bit more like, you know, um, like King Joffrey in the Game of Thrones, that person needs to stay at work. And the person at home needs to be a little bit more like, uh, you know, William Powell and my man Godfrey. Now, they're still married, so, you know, must be working. I mean, maybe they have the right idea. Sometimes when I'm working on a show or on some other set, I notice the writers in T-shirts and I wonder, where's the armor? Where's the wardrobe for the fight? The hugely successful producer and writer, Dick Wolf, who rules the multi-show, multi-year law and order empire. Well, the story is he wears a suit every day. He's a writer in a suit. I mean, at some point, I guess he made the decision to, you know, show run formally. I mean, it's probably a lot harder to argue with a guy in a suit. A lot more mental moving parts to consider when the guy you're about to give a note to, to say, uh, I don't know, uh, can we make the female cop more quirky? Or can we establish that the lead is a hero in a quick one-page tease? When the writer glowering back at you looks like a hedge fund manager and not a Quiznos manager? Well, do you wear a suit? A writer once asked me when I mentioned this. No, I said. I like to be comfortable. Rob, he asked. What's comfortable about running a TV show? Which, again, is a very good point. Maybe if you're comfortable, maybe if you're casual, you're doing it wrong. Anyway, that was what was going through my mind all those years ago before the table reading of my very first pilot. I knew I needed some armor, so I bought a snazzy jacket to wear that morning to make me feel more powerful and in charge. Now, that jacket, I thought, with a coffee mug and a pencil behind the ear, would paint the exact right picture. A casual guy on the go, a young writer who's got this thing handled. Except, I forgot to remove the tag. Well, not the tag, but that thing they put on the sleeve by the cuff. The playing card size thing that says the size and the fabric and some other meaningless numbers. Somehow, in my excitement about the day, I forgot to remove that. So instead of looking like a sleek and dapper young show business powerhouse, I looked like a guy who just stole a jacket. You've got that thing still on, an older writer said to me quietly as I took my seat at the table. He pointed to the tag, which I immediately started to yank at. Can always tell who the writer is, he said as I yanked the tag off, taking with it a large patch of fabric in any room, in any outfit. People in this business, in other words, tend to dress the part even when they're trying not to. I felt exactly like that a few years ago when I went to a fancy store on a Saturday afternoon to buy a suit. Before I went to the store, though, I took the dog to the dog park and replaced a bunch of ceiling-high light bulbs in my house, which meant I had to find the ladder, which was around the side of the house, collecting mud and rain dirt, which left streaks across the old frayed dress shirt I wear around the house and spots on my pair of old khaki trousers. So when I finally walked into the fancy men's store, covered in dirt and dog hair, and the general squalor of a busy Saturday afternoon, I had a hard time getting anyone to help me out because I looked like a hobo and hobos don't need suits was clearly the thinking among the store staff. Um, wait, are, are we, are we allowed to say hobo? I mean, I suppose the approved phrase is something like currently unhoused individual or maybe independent freelance recycling activist, but hobo more accurately captures the look I was sporting that day, like a hobo in one of those old movies. So I was expecting to meet my brother at the store, but when he arrived, I was fuming about the lack of chop-chop service I was getting at this pricey boutique, and he asked me to look carefully into the three-way mirror and tell him what I saw 
looking back at me. Oh, I said, really seeing myself for the first time that day. I look like a hobo. No wonder I'm getting the high hat. See, if you're dressed like a hobo, you may as well talk like one, too. So it was a simple image problem. The people in the store assume that a hobo doesn't need a suit, just a place to sit down for a moment. And as long as he doesn't get unruly, we'll ignore him and he'll move on. So the brother and the old-timey movie hobo left the store and walked a few blocks to Sulka, now long gone, but at the time a spectacularly expensive and super deluxe men's store where the salespeople were trained to ignore the clothes a customer was wearing and focus on his watch instead, because a hobo wearing an expensive watch is not a hobo. It is a slob with money. Some people in L.A. feel the same about cars. A writer I know hasn't worked in a long while, and his career energizing decision was to cash in a portion of his retirement savings and buy himself a new car, which was an odd choice, really, because, and I speak as someone who happily drives a Subaru Outback, which I recognize makes me look like a folk singer on the way to a day job at a women's bookstore. But in reality... No one I do business with ever really sees my car. I mean, every business situation, the process is more or less the same. You park in the parking garage, you take the elevator up. You park in the lot, you walk to the bungalow. I could be driving a Rolls Royce. I could be driving a 1993 Buick Skylark. I could be driving a clown car. No one would know. Which, when I mentioned this to the writer, prompted him to nod sagely and then show us all his new zillion-dollar watch. Because he was covering all angles, I guess. People in this business tend to dress for the part they want, and he was playing the part of a writer who could afford a fancy watch and an expensive car in the hopes that someone would hire him and he would actually be a writer who could afford a fancy watch and an expensive car. So say what you will, that at least is a strategy, which is more than I have. Okay, I mean, here's the scene. I'm walking my dog along Oceanfront Walk in Venice, and it's an early weekday morning, and I'll be honest, I am, you know, I'm not looking my best. You know, it's the morning. I'm walking the dog. I'm not, you know, going to a meeting or anything. So I have on a pair of shorts that may be tattered and a T-shirt that may have been used recently to mop up some kind of spill. But I repeat, I'm just walking the dog. But here's how bad I looked. As I'm walking along, I notice that there's a shoot going on in front of me. Some show has commandeered a part of Venice Beach and they're setting up a shot. So I slip by them. But as I do, an AD wearing a headset stops me. And I think he's telling me to wait a second so they can finish the shot. But what he's doing is talking into a headset and describing my dog. And a second later, another AD bounds up to us. Hi, he says. We're doing a show here and we just love your dog. And we're wondering if maybe we could use her in the shot we're doing. Uh, yeah, no, no, thank you, I say. We'll pay you, he says helpfully, somewhere around. And then I noticed his registering my outfit, the shorts, the dirty T-shirt, the cheap flip-flops. Somewhere around 200 bucks. I'm just too busy, I say. He looks at me again, trying to figure out how a person dressed like me could be described as busy. Well, you wouldn't have to do anything, he says, and neither would your dog, really. It's a show where a little kid is looking out at the ocean, and the director saw you and your puppy walking by, and he thinks it might make the shot better if the little boy has a puppy with him and will pay you. I just don't have the time, I say. Then the AD talks into the headset. He says he's busy. Pause. I know, but that's what he's saying. Pause. I told him pause. Okay. Then he turns to me. The director says to tell you that we'll pay you in cash, and if you like, you can have lunch. So they think I'm homeless and proud, which is wrong on both counts. Now, who's the director, I asked, trying to sound like someone who actually isn't off his meds? 
The AD mentions someone I don't know, which is not unusual, as I don't know many people anyway. He points over to a small canopy about 200 yards away from me where the director is sitting in front of a couple of playback monitors. The director waves at me. Oh, is that your video village? I ask, trying to use the lingo and convey to the AD that, you know, if I know the lingo, I'm probably just a person in the business who just happens to look like a derelict right now. Come on, man, says the AD with a kind of no-nonsense sympathy. It's 200 bucks. I mean, maybe you can buy dog food with it or something. Look, I say, I'm actually quite pressed for time. I have an important meeting at the studio later today, and I have a call scheduled with my attorney and other important high-level events to attend to. The AD looks sadly at me as I walk away, and I hear him talking to his headset. I said that, pause. I know, pause. Well, what do you want me to do? Follow him to the shelter? Now, the odd thing about this story is that I didn't really have anything going on that day or anything so pressing that I couldn't have stuck around there for a few hours and had some lunch and collected my scratch and moved on. But I think what kept me from doing that wasn't pride, really. I mean, good Lord, I'm a writer in television. Pride really is not a factor here. But it was more about the fact that I am a writer and I am in the business And I'm probably a few off pitches and maybe a drunken tweet away from actually needing that 200 bucks, especially in cash. So it wasn't really that the AD did not know who I was. It was that maybe he knew all too well. He saw a derelict, delusional guy dressed in rags walking along Venice Beach. In fact, I am a television writer and producer. But those two things are not mutually exclusive. And that's it for this week. Next week, we get some bad news. For The Ankler, this is Rob Long with Martini Shot.